Welcome to the show. It's Real Talk with the Six Man. I'm your host, the Six Man. This podcast is uncut, unscripted, and we talk about a wide range of topics such as black entrepreneurship, social injustice, education, finances, the family dynamic, Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, and mental health, along with many more. It's a Real Talk podcast to empower, educate, encourage, uplift, and inspire, and to allow others to be better than they were yesterday. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, The Six Man, and you're tuned into Real Talk with The Six Man. Tonight, we wanted to talk about something a little um, a little disheartening. It was on my heart for a while, and I'm so proud and so happy that I'm able to talk to these women tonight to get a full scope of what's going on um, in regards to MPD and how they operate. Um, and when I say MPD, I mean the Metropolitan Police Department. Um, I'm a longtime resident. I uh, grew up in War 8, so I'm very familiar with um, this police department and some of their tactics and how they operate. But in regards to that, um, this is more into um, how officers are treated and mainly black women, female officers. And so I have um, a group of um, officers, active, inactive, and retired um, on the line. And we're going to have a conversation and also have their lawyer um, who's going to um, explain the lawsuit in depth. And so I just want to, first of all, thank all of you ladies for um, giving me an opportunity to do this. Um, I appreciate it. I know we had some technical difficulties earlier, but again, I, I appreciate you all sticking around to do this. And so uh, first and foremost, um, Pam, I want you to introduce yourself um, just to let everybody know who you are. So that way they know that this is a legitimate conversation. And after we do that, I'll give um, all of the officers the opportunity to um, uh, introduce themselves as well. Well, thank you so much for having us, Kevin, and my name is Pam Keith. I, along with my law partner, Donald Temple, filed not one, but now four lawsuits that involve MPD. Wow. The first lawsuit that we filed was the first ever class action lawsuit on behalf of black women police officers ever, anywhere. And a class action basically alleges systematic discrimination based on race and gender and retaliation against black women as a class, which is about 700 black women police officers over a period of 10 years. The second lawsuit we filed was on behalf of three cadets who were pushed out of their cadet program because they told the truth during an investigation of misconduct of their sergeant. 
and they were retaliated against and pushed out of the program for doing that. Wow. The third lawsuit involved internal affairs, and I represent three black women who worked within internal affairs and were basically pushed out of internal affairs by the chief of internal affairs, whom they allege is very ruthless, um, has placed favorites, favoritism, and uses his authority and his power to benefit white officers who get in trouble and to throw the book at black officers who get in trouble. Wow. And the last lawsuit, which was filed just this past month, is on behalf of all five EEO counselors who worked for the head of the EEO department. Police department has an internal equal opportunity department okay. that investigates discrimination. Well, the head of that department is in the pocket of the chief of police. That man believes his job is to defend the police and to dis disavow all discrimination. All five of his EEO counselors have sued him for discrimination and retaliation and for misconduct of um, changing investigative reports to deny claims of gender, race, discrimination, and sexual harassment. In the period of five, four years, he has not allowed a single claim to be substantiated within EEO. And the five plaintiffs are one black man, one white man, one Latina female, and two black women over a period of four years. Every single one of them accuses him of, of changing investigations to deny legitimate claims. Wow. So those are the four. I wasn't even aware that it was full, but thank you for the information. Um, that seems like a, a, a bit a, a bit much um, and a lot going on. And um, it, it's honest to me that um, I, I saw all of this happening back in September um, and of last year, and I wanted to figure out, um, you know, what was what was the end all be all of it? Like, what was the content? You know, what was going on? So I kind of start following the story. Um, I watched it on, on the news. I saw all of the ladies um, in the room and you kind of, you know, explain it to everybody what it was. And then after that, it just kind of went away. And so I called Tamika and I was like, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, what y'all lawsuit? She was telling me, you know, what was going on. But I said, I felt like it's kind of going to sleep. Like they're not talking about it anymore. I said, so let's see if we can get together so we can talk. And, and, and you know, I would just want to give you guys an opportunity to, you know, to speak your, your, your side. And so that's kind of what we're going to do tonight. So, um, Tamika, since I got you first in line, um, could you tell everybody how long you've been an officer? And if you want, um, let them know where you are actively working. Yes, I have been a police officer for over 18 years. I am assigned to the third district at this time. Okay. And I have worked over 17 years at the seventh district until I was promoted last May. And my assignment changed, and I moved to the third district as a sergeant. Okay, Miss Regina, can you can you tell us how long you were active as a as an officer in um in your in your actual um, duties? Yes, um, my name is uh, Regina. I was a sworn officer for thirty years in patrol. I retired in 2015, and I returned in um, 2016. I have a total of 35 years' experience with Metropolitan Police Department. Wow. My last assignment was as an active instructor at the 
Police Academy. Wow. Thank you for your service. I appreciate that. Wow. 35 years. Wow. And they treating you like this? This is... All right. Chanel, can you tell us um, um, your, your, your active... Um, uh, where you come out of your 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 um, your district and um, how long you've been an officer? Hi, thank you so much for having us and keeping um, this topic relevant. Oh, My name is Chanel Dickerson. I am currently an assistant chief of police of the Metropolitan Police Department, the Youth and Family Engagement Bureau. I started with the police department as a cadet at the age of seventeen, so I've served the police department for over three decades. Oh wow! Okay. And I also grew up in Ward 8 and graduated from BC Public School, just to tap in on where you grew up and where you graduated. Oh, absolutely. From. I appreciate that. That gives me a little bit of um, a little bit of reverence to bother you a little bit. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Lisa, can you do the same for us? Tell us know, Let us know where you are and how long you've been a police officer and what district are you out of? Oh. Okay, well, my name is Lisa Burton, and I am actually a civilian employee for the Metropolitan Police Department. Okay. So I have uh, over 30 years in law enforcement, but it's not with MPD. I've been with MPD for five years as a civilian, but I want to be a, the one of the women from the Internal Affairs Division that, that has the complaint. So uh, that's where I came from. Okay, so you on the IED. Okay. Thank you. Yes, I'm one of the IED females. Got you. I'm just making my little chart here. Um, Karen, can you do the same? Let us know how long you've been um, a police officer and where you, what district you come out of. Um, yes, good evening. Thank you for having me. My name is Karen Carr. I've been with the police department almost 25 years. Prior to that, I was in the United States Army for seven years. I was also a deputy sheriff in Richmond, my hometown, for two years. Okay. And currently, I'm the instructor at the police academy. Okay. Richmond. Okay. Um... So I'm looking at this, ladies, and I was reading um, a lot of this story, and I took some notes. And it says that it's over 200 years of experience within this lawsuit. And I'm trying to figure out, um, honestly, when you're at a job, um, most of the time when you don't have any seniority, you have to work your way up. And when you have seniority, you know, um, things kind of look your way in certain situations, right? And so as I'm looking at these 200 years of experience, it just seems like even though it's 200 years of experience, it seems like it's a slap in the face as if they don't, you know, look at your experience as a, as a badge of honor or a or, 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 or way of just respecting you overall. So, Chanel, I had a question for you. Um, being second in command, when you kind of saw some of this stuff going on and having some of it going on with yourself, what were some things in your mind that you thought needed to happen so this wouldn't happen to any other officer? Well, thank you for the question. Um, I was the only person in the room. I, I got promoted to assistant chief in 2018, and I was the highest-ranking female on the police department at that time. So I was often in the room with men, and when I saw the level of sexism, racism, in reference to discipline, termination, promotion, I spoke out about it. And as I continued to speak out about it, I was isolated, um, denigrated, left out of, out of beatings. And so I wanted to see a shift in the police department. And we changed leadership at the helm. And I went um, 
to our new leadership to talk about some of the issues. And I felt like we needed to start with our internal affairs division and our EEO office. And that's what I shared then. I said that that is a vulnerability for the police department, that the EEO office could no longer report to the internal affairs um, assistant chief of police. So I saw that as these allegations was coming up. And mind you, this was way before a lawsuit, and I decided to join the lawsuit only because we were not making the necessary changes internally. Mm. Okay. And so, you know, some people would probably say that when these incidents happen, that people need to speak out, right? And I've been reading a lot of the information, and a lot of the women say that they were um, in fear of retaliation. Um, Tamika, can you kind of go into detail in regards to what that retaliation looks like? Like if something happens and you report it, what does that type of retaliation look like? Who is that question for? Anybody? Tamika. looks like um, I can paint you a great picture just this past September right before the lawsuit came out I was on the scene <clears throat> I was on the scene of a shooting it was 30 something shell casings on the ground it was a crash vehicle with um, no suspects inside and it was, I think, a bullet hole in an apartment building in the window. So it was a pretty big scene. Okay. Well, <laughs> while on that scene, I was being ignored. It's all on body-worn cameras recorded. I was being ignored. Um, they had their huddles. Um, it was men. They had their huddles of conversations, excluding me. And um, we were all same rank, all sergeants. Also, an arrest happened on that scene, which they didn't even tell me about. I just kind of had to understand that everybody was walking toward a crowd, and I walked towards the crowd with them. Well, during this, <clears throat> during this time, the young men they were arrested, the crowd was getting upset because they were arresting one of their friends. So I stepped behind the officer that was making me arrest to make sure that no one from the crowd would do anything to him behind him. Okay. As well as some other sergeants did. When this happened, another sergeant got in front of the group of black men and the officer that was in the crowd and the sergeant that was in the crowd. He got in front of all of us, pulled his service weapon out, and pointed it to the ground. Well, that really made the crowd upset. So they were going off, um, screaming about he did wrong for that. Look at what he's doing. They were cursing him out. I just told him, look, I said, listen, if, if you feel like something's wrong, you can complain. Because I said that one sentence, that sergeant that I rode there with left me on the scene. Wait, what? That's retaliation looks like. Wait, wait. wait. He left. You, you, you were at a crime scene 
And the person yes. that you came there with left you? He left me. Oh, wow. I had my personal belongings in that vehicle. My book bag was in that vehicle. He left me on the scene. So that is oh, wow. what immediate retaliation. <clears throat> One of the officers. And I would just like to add that to my, as from a lawyer's perspective, that was bad enough. But the fact that she was not held accountable for that, which is a major, major breach of police mm-hmm. protocol, right? He wasn't held accountable in any way for that, right? Oh, wow. So there, it's, it, it's the retaliation that happens officer to officer gets basically ratified and validated by the chain of command. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where somebody does something that's wildly out of norm, out of general orders and standards, and then when you complain about it as a black female police officer, they act like it's no big deal. But if you had done that, you would have been written up in a heartbeat. Mm. Yes. That that sounds that sounds crazy to me. I mean, because that's putting you in harm's way. Like that's, you know, I mean, you're, you're at an active crime scene and because you made a comment that a person has a right to file a complaint, which they do, that you got left on scene. That's so. When you were left on scene, how did the end of that night end? Like, how did that end? So it was some other officers on the scene that, um, of course, being police officers, you're paying attention to detail. So they noticed what happened. They saw what he did. So one of the officers walked up to me quietly, and she looked at me and said, "Sarge, are you okay? I can take you back to the station." Hmm. So I rode back with the officer to the station. I was calling for the sergeant that was riding around with my personal belongings. I was calling for him over the air by name and his call sign three times, and he ignored all three. Mm. Another sergeant in the office overheard what occurred, and he called that particular sergeant on his cell phone and asked him to come back with my belongings. And then he finally complied because another man called him. Mm. Wow. Okay, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to hear a pattern here already. It's not even taking me that long. Um, so in the, in the complaint, um, Pam uh, rendered uh, race, gender, and discrimination. So Lisa, can you give us an idea of the impact of your gender in regards to the Metropolitan Police Department, like what, 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 where, where is the hindrance in regards to you being a woman? Well, I, when I joined, I joined the Internal Affairs in 2018. When I came into the office, there was about uh, nine black female agents amongst the, the staff of about maybe 27 agents. It was nine of us were black females, and then it was just immediately apparent that strategically. The black women, as I say, were being plucked like weeds out of the division over petty things, over, you know, writing them up for small infractions or overworking them or whatever the case was. It just seemed like that the officers that were coming back, the senior police officers that were coming back were white males. And the black females were getting, you know, out. Mm. And I, I took notice to that. And then... Um, that was the, that was far as the female part. Mm-hmm. The, the, the racism part, then I also witnessed racism. I heard white males say disparaging things about black men. 
And, you know, and we're bold enough to say it, like, like you know, it didn't matter. And, you know, Internal Affairs is in charge of policing the police for misconduct and use of force and things like that. So we hear a white man talk about black men in a disparaging way and automatically uh, threatens his ability to do the investigation. That's the problem. You know, he's biased. He's racist. He can't do those type things. So, and the, as Pam mentioned earlier, the chief, uh, he's a misogynist, period. He's a misogynist, discriminant. He's a, he's a racist, as far as I'm concerned. I talked to him, and I've watched him strategically change the whole dynamic of the internal affairs. When it should be about the conduct, it wasn't about the conduct. It was about the who's who. <clears throat> mm. You know, if you're one of his boys or someone that he likes, then he'll cover it up for you. If you're somebody he didn't like, or you were black or brown, or a peanut, and you're out of there, or you get a harsher discipline. Wow. Things of that nature. That's that, that's that power structure. I mean, that's the way it's set up, and which isn't... That's, that's the way it has been straight. Like as Pam also mentioned, the EEO, and it also was tied in because the EEO guy was reporting to the same as Mr. G. Wow. So you have them watching each other's back. There was no check and balance. What it was is, you know, I'm my brother's keeper. Right. We file the complaints, they tell the guy, and then it goes nowhere. Wow. It just stops. Wow. Well, yes. No, not, it doesn't just stop. It doesn't just stop because then the person that filed the complaint gets retaliated against. <laughs> exactly. So, so it gets worse. Kevin, if you go and you accuse somebody who's in favor of sexual harassment, you accuse them of gender discrimination or race discrimination or retaliation, you go to EEO, which you're supposed to do, right? That's supposed to be the first step. Then you turn around and find yourself the subject of an IED investigation over something that's completely fabricated. Mm. Completely fabricated. But the problem when you're under investigation yourself, you can't get promoted. Right, you spend, and they they will keep these investigations open for a year or more. Wow. Okay. Just open. Wow. Just open investigations, and you have no idea where this allegation came from. The allegation is completely out the blue. It makes no sense. And then when you prove your innocence, and they can't prove the charge against you, they just like wash their hands of it. They don't apologize. The person who made the false allegation doesn't get punished. They just you're just supposed to suck it up and deal and go back as if nothing happened. Wow. Yeah, that to me that doesn't sound right at all. Um and you know, in regards to um the inner lands of how your organiz- the organization works, somebody wouldn't know that this was going on if you didn't intimately know them, you know, if they were your partner, if they were your, your best friend or Things of that nature, because I mean, again, growing up in Ward A, I know a ton of police officers who work in D.C., who work in Maryland. I know a few um, state troopers in Maryland that I'm really cool with. And even, you know, after hours when I talk to the guys, because we talk about like we talk about a lot of stuff. Me having a platform now, you know, me wanting to use my voice the right way. I ask some of the harder questions when I'm with them so they can give me the harsh reality of what's going on. I mean, I, we always use different um, um, cases that's in the, um, in, on the news and, you know, just try to get them to break it down. Like, why would the officer do that? Why would the officer do this? So they give me an insight that um, the TV doesn't necessarily give me. And being able to talk to you ladies tonight, and thank you again, talk to you all. You you all, I'm writing things down, and as you're talking, and I'm just looking at it, and I'm just like, wow, like, how do you endure that and still be able to go to work, you know, with a sense of pride, you know, thinking that you're in your career, this is what you want to do, but this is the type of, excuse my friends, this is the type of bullshit that you have to deal with. 
And so I don't think that it's good for um, the Metropolitan Police Department, nor do I think it's um, good for the people who work there. Because eventually, even the people who are, you know, so-called these people who are, you know, trying to, you know, do things to you all along the line, something happens to everybody. I mean, you know, karma is real. I'm a true believer of karma. And so I just feel like, you know, at some point, you know, I was very, um, I was very, I want to say happy to see um, the ladies coming out and talking about it. And especially when I found out Tamika was involved with the suit, <clears throat> I was like, wow, like this is a homie from school and this is what she's been dealing with. I mean, and knowing her, not knowing that she's been going through this, it then it made me even think further, like, well, psychologically, you know, how does this, you know, you know, I don't want to say bother, but how does this, you know, how does a person deal with that knowing that they got to go and deal with this day in and day out? So that has to be, you know, some, you know, um, mental toll and you have to have a, a certain type of fortitude, mental fortitude to even deal with it. But I'm 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 going to digress because I feel like a lot of it is just to me, it's hard to hear and, and it's very disheartening. But um, Regina, you said that you retired and you had over 30 years. I wanted you to kind of tell me, like, from a discrimination standpoint, you know, what type of discrimination either have you dealt with or have you seen within the force? Oh, so um, I first want to say that um, when each time we, each time I have an interview, it's like I, all t you know, all the different experiences flood me and in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm constantly thinking, because I have, I have loved ones, family members on the department, and I have to trust that um, that those good people that I work with um, are covering my loved ones when I speak on a panel. Right. Okay? And the things that I'm just ready to say, people say, well, that some of it was old. Okay? So it was old for Bill Cosby with this person for old cases. Right? Right. So, thinking back in the First of all, on one of my, when I first got this, I got this, um, this trainer officer's name was Raymond Gatelli, and every day at lunchtime, he would take me to a place called Phyllis, a restaurant on Main Avenue. He would go in the kitchen door, he would leave me in the car, and would bring me food back in a tissue like I was a puppy. Mm. And that was my lunch. And I said, well, I want to go to, um, 90th Street, I want to get, you know, a hot dog from the vendor. He was like, no, don't you people eat KFC? Don't you like chicken? He would never take me to eat to the point where I had to start bringing my own lunch. But the one um, thing that I want to speak on is when I was black old, um, I actually had to um, arrest the officer for drunk driving. Um, he was actually so drunk that he couldn't even walk. And this call was called in by a citizen. Mm. And when I got told me, um, Regina, do your thing, meaning I was out 35. So I ended up having to, you know, him. Um, when I got to the station, um, my partner actually said, if you would do that to someone who was in the academy with you, because we were in the academy to that, 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 uh, together, he said, we know we don't got nothing coming. He said, watch your back. And for... Five years, I can tell you, it went for a span of five years um, when that actually let up on me. I was blackballed. I remember one night, I worked a bit school. I was on 50 Mass Avenue, and I, I was tied of a, 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 a stolen auto. It was occupied four times. I called a dispatcher. 
I tell you, the air went dead. I had a stolen vehicle occupied by four people, and the air went dead. The dispatcher was calling for backup for me. No one would come. I At that time, I was married. I then husband was a detective at Youth Division. He came cold one to my location. Wow. No one still never came back <clears throat> up on me. It got so bad that finally I was taken off the street and put into the so when I was put into the station, it didn't get any better. I can tell you why one station, I had an official to ask me out front the station. And then he grabbed the back of my neck and stuck his tongue, tongue in my mouth. Wait, wait. Station, he, he, wait, he did what now? Stuck his tongue in my mouth. Well, I, stuck his tongue in I mean, yeah. I mean did, he, did he have a reasoning behind that? He was an official. He didn't have. He asked me outside. He didn't even. He didn't talk. He just grabbed the back of my head and he put his tongue in my mouth. And I said, I don't know what I did to make you think that that was okay. Right. But don't you ever come near me again. He didn't come near me again. I didn't have a problem with him. But the fact that he did that, it just that's the culture that we were in. That's just how it went. Wow. I can tell you one one evening. One evening I was working in the station. Also while I was. You know, going through my black ball process, um, I was released in a prison. I mean, taking taking a prison from the um, from the van port. And the van port is where the car comes in and bring prisoners off the street, and then we process them. Well, this particular evening, the the, the sergeant came up behind me with his penis was fully erected and pressed up against my Wow. Yeah. So. Um, and from that, I can tell you that, um, I can tell you what's doing the, the forward age is when all females were told, we, pregnant females, when they were told, either you, you go home or you go on the street. I was six months pregnant. I, um, I was driving um, a, a, a transport, and one evening, it was in the evening that I um, brought a male prisoner to, um, back to the station who I had picked up on the street. This male, um, when I put put him in the van port, I felt myself, I felt my body when, when I had the miscarriage. Mm. But we were told, you go on the street wow. or you go home. I had two additional children. I had to, you know, I had to work. Right. But prior to that, we, you know, they would put us on death duty until it was time to have our baby. Wow. <clears throat> and that's legal. I mean, that's like, that's. That's that's policy. That back back then it was. Right now they take pregnant females and they take them off the street. Um, they don't recognize um, pregnancy as an illness, so they don't force us off the street. We have to go to our doctor to get a note to come off the street, and the department will put us um, in a detail where it wouldn't be a detrimental to our condition. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah, that I mean, that seems a little scary to be pregnant. I mean, I know it's a job. I can see them putting you behind a desk or putting you in a station, but actually having you on the street while you're pregnant, um, that that's kind of that's kind of bad. So in regards to your miscarriage, um, how, how did that go? I mean, were they empathetic to you anyway when they found out that you lost your baby? I went out, um, 
can say no because let me tell I'm gonna say this. When I came back, you know, when you lose a child, um, and it's not by choice, you know, it it even if it is by choice, it it affects you. It affects the woman. I would have to so agree when with I that. Come back, I, you know, I had to come back because I have a family to take care of. Right. So one night I um, had a, a radio. <clears throat> I left the radio in the in the um, in the gas station. We went to get gas. So we went back and said, my partner said, "Where's your radio?" I was like, "Oh my God, I left it in the, at, at the gas station." So we went back to the um, gas station and it wasn't there. So I remember this detective named Robbie Saunders. He went and he searched for my radio and he found it. But they still wrote me up and gave me days for that. If you know you're not you're supposed to be responsible for your property, but they knew that I had just came off from maternity, you know, from from my what I suffered. Right. And it was short turnaround. So I didn't feel <clears throat> feel any compassion. I did not wow. for my condition and what what occurred. And, and and in regards to your retirement, I mean I heard you say twice that you had to do what you needed to do to take care of your family. In regards to your retirement, even though you were still like off, um, you know, off the force, what, 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 um, what, I'm trying to put this the right way. What made you want to join the lawsuit? Even though you weren't active anymore. Okay, so when I, yeah, because I came back as an instructor, as a senior police officer, and I saw some things that really not my testimony, you know, things, uh-huh. you know, people think that happened in the academy. Well, I can say that the situation, not the people. I saw a young officer get her breast touched by a sergeant. Wow. I, um, uh, an uh, uh, officer called one of my recruits, um, a big black ugly Jamaican. Um, and this was a black male being called this and it was a white male being called, calling him that. A big black ugly Jamaican. Oh, wow. Uh, what, yes. So, what made you say, I'm, I'm, I lost track, you said what made me come what, back? No, what, what made you want to join the lawsuit? Oh, just seeing all of the different, um, me and Zenobia Brinkley, the, the, the young lady who started the lawsuit, mm-hmm. we would see each other periodically. Um, through our career, we actually came out, she came out before me, but we were in the academy together, and we would share our experiences. So when uh, Zenobia started the lawsuit, as I was leaving out the door um, my second time, she, we ran into each other, and I wish she asked me why was I leaving, and I shared it with her that mentally I could not take it anymore, even though, you know, it was a good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it even more stressful, and I didn't have to stay there anymore. I had my tension. I didn't have to do it anymore. So Zenobia asked me um, to contact Pam, and I didn't contact Pam right away because even thinking about the things that when I retired and I thought back over my life, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you I slept so many days that my kids had to come and check on me, and I cried so much mm-hmm. because it's like a flood of situations that cross your mind when you're no longer in that situation anymore. And after each, after every interview, the same thing happens. Mm-hmm. I go into that, I would call it a, a sleep oh, from wow. what I've talked about because it floods everything back all over again. You're reliving it all 
Right. Kevin, one of the things that um, I would say is that there's like a there's like a syndrome that happens when you are being mistreated at work. Um, first of all, as a as a black female, you were you are expected to kind of keep your counsels, keep quiet, and if you do speak up, you are instantly labeled an angry black woman. Right? You become trouble labeled as a troublemaker, you, you know, somebody who can't get along with anybody. So there's this perception that you have to keep quiet. You have to, you know, just put up with it. Don't, don't make any waves. And every time you were marginalized, every time you're disrespected, every time something small happens, you watch somebody get an opportunity, you got denied. You get watch somebody get recognition, you were not, you were not afforded. it. Every time you swallow that down, right. you swallow it down just so that you can go back to work the next day. Right. And half the time you can't even tell your friends, your girlfriend, your family, because they're not going to understand. They're not in that job. They don't get it. Right. right? It sounds like a petty little thing. <clears throat> but every time you do that, it harms you internally. It harms your mental space. It harms your body. Right. You keep it as anxiety and stress. And over time, that anxiety and stress starts to destabilize your confidence. Right. It destabilizes your security, your sense of job security, and and your ability to, to deal with the next thing that comes your way. Right? And it starts to escalate. Mm. And pretty soon, you feel like you just have to get out of there just to keep your mental health. Right. I just can, to I can, keep it crazy. Yeah. Yes. I can see that. I can definitely see that. I mean, I can I can see that just with <clears throat> leaving out the door, you know, just day to day. I mean, even for myself, it's challenging just walking out the door, you know, not knowing, you know, the unknown. Like, you know, what if? Is this today? You know, you just don't know. <clears throat> and I mean, even in your case, it's a little worse because you already know what's going to happen. You already know it's going to be some bullshit and you got to fight and push through that. And I, I that's the part that I think for me isn't right, you know, for me. I mean, this is a, a well-known organization. They're getting paid a pretty penny. And it's like you have to go to work to, to get this dream job. You got to go through, you know, the academy. You got to go through whatever processes you got to go through to become on these different, you know, these different teams and, you know, all of this stuff, but then still get treated in this manner. And then when you do report it and then it's, it's like you're the problem. Like, no, no, there is a problem. Not I'm the problem. There is a problem. So I think that that in itself for me is my issue. Just, just you know, kind of hearing everybody's story. So, Karen, I didn't want to leave you out, Karen. I wanted to ask you um, in regards to you being on the suit, um, what what prompted you and did you have a situation that you wanted to talk about in regards to um, either race, gender or discrimination? Um, hi, yes. I think the reason why I joined the suit was because I've had multiple um, instances where I've tried to complain or file complaints against, um, you know, men that were in, in positions of authority over me, um, specifically white men, not saying that I'm disregarding the black men that discriminated against me. I'm not saying that at all, but when I went to the EEO to file the complaint, it seemed like every time I filed a complaint, the, the people that I complained about they somehow were they were getting the information, and I'm like, well, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm not I'm not saying anything to anyone. Wow. Why is it that they're getting this information, and you know they're coming back to retaliate against me even further? So come to find out, the director of the EEOC, um, his name's Alfonso Lee. He's actually directing.
facilitators to record our conversations, even though they're supposed to be confidential. Oh, wow. And on the same hand, right, exactly. And on the same hand, he's trying to force us to sign a confidentiality agreement where we can't speak, but you're recording my my interview, and then you're taking that interview, and you're letting the, uh, the chief of the Internal Affairs Bureau and whomever else I complain to hear the audio. So there's no confidentiality whatsoever because the EEO and the IED are, they, they, they go hand in hand and they sit there and they talk and they communicate and they run back and they tell everything that we've done. I mean, they know, they know everybody's business. Exactly. They know everybody's business. Yes. Wow. Exactly. And so, elaborate on that a little bit, Karen, and I'll let you finish in a minute, but just to elaborate on that, it is completely inappropriate. It is against EEO policy. It is against EEO law to record of those initial conversations, especially to play them or to reveal them in them to target of the investigation. And that happened over and over again. That is part of this last lawsuit where the EEO counselors sued the department head for forcing them to do this, which they know to be wrong. And that they do it very specifically so that everybody in the department knows what a complainant says. Well, of course, you know, they're going to get retaliated against and shunned. Of course they are. And that's exactly why they do it. It creates a chilled environment where people are afraid to speak out. So Karen, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to put a fine point on that so people understand. It violates the law to do that. And they're doing it again and again and again. Right. So in 2019, I filed an EEO complaint um, against some of the the white male supervisors um, at the special events branch. 13 pages. I had 13 pages of dates and times. And that's just for a couple of years that I've documented things. I mean, this discrimination and retaliation goes back to 2002. I mean, I have stories from there to the present that I could share with you, but I'm going to stick with this current one. I had 13 pages of dates and times to show discrimination, retaliation, harassment, um, unfair discipline, um, favoritism, sexism, you name it. All these things happened, so I, I reported it. The EEO investigator within weeks, because it was myself, it was Tabitha Knight, Zenobia Brinkley, Leslie Clark, um, Kia Mitchell, we all filed at the same time. And within weeks, the investigator came back with um, the case has no merit, and I'm going to drop the case. And yes, and she wrote the exit letter. It was a two-sentence exit letter that I had to take to OHR, Office of Human Rights. I take it to OHR, and the counsel there says, Miss Carr, I can't help you because there's not enough information in your exit letter. And I was like, ma'am, I sent 13 pages, 13 pages to EEO, and all I got back was this two-sentence exit letter. She said, sorry, I can't help you. And within a matter of a week or two, an EEO investigator, she quit. She left. She left. She left the EEO. She quit after that. Nowhere to be found. Couldn't get a hold of her or anything. She just completely just left. Um, it's now a plaintiff suing that. Right. Exactly. So she's a plaintiff also. And I'll give you one more, and then I'll get off my little soapbox. But um, back in August of 2020, I had a black male sergeant that's um, assigned to the emergency response team. He filed an EEO complaint against me for racial and gender discrimination. And they actually entertained that. Racial and gender discrimination. He's, I'm his subordinate. I'm black. I'm a woman. 
he's a man, but he's in a position of authority over me. He filed an EEO complaint. The investigator who took uh, the case, um, after he interviewed me, he basically said, this has no merit. This is personal bias against you. There's nothing I can do with this. This does not fall under EEO. When he tried to drop the case without merit, Alfonso Lee fired that man. He fired him because he refused to find some type of merit in the case and issue discipline to me. And uh, and Alfonso Lee was the chief of. He's a he's a um he's the head of uh, the EEO for MPD the um for the EEOIC. Okay. Yes. Okay. Director. Director. Yeah, okay. So director. director. Okay. Right. So he. Yeah. So he fired Mr. Carter because Mr. Carter refused to find any um, merit in the case. Because how how can you file a, a suit against me for sexual harassment um, and gender discrimination when you're the you're the supervisor? I'm the subordinate. How how can you you know how can you do that? Um, so he, he got fired, and once he got fired, I ended up in IED. I'm basically going to IED because now they have all the information that I gave him, and now I'm being investigated again. Wow. And that's what they do. It's a, it's a cycle, and it, it just repeats itself over and over and over. So, so Pam, I got a question. I mean, I, as I say, as we talk, I'm writing all this stuff down, OHR and you know, director of, uh, you know, IED, I'm, I'm, I'm writing all this stuff down. And one thing is, 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 is like jumping out at me. Right. And so who oversees the overseers? Like who oversees the EEO? Who oversees AID? Like who, who oversees these people? Well, that's the chief of police. And if you looked at our complaint, what you would see is that the, the police department's a lot like a, military outfit. It's a very high I, I was going to ask that. Okay. I was going to ask that. Right. Okay. It's a hierarchical chain of command, right? So ultimately, everybody answers to the chief of police, and the chief of police ultimately has all the discretion, right? He can overrule decisions by internal affairs. He can overrule decisions by EEO, or he can allow bad decisions and bad things to happen, or he can stop them, and, right? And, and who, oversees, who oversees the chief, the mayor? The mayor, the chief is part of the executive, right? So okay. Just like the government of the U.S., right. there are three branches of government. Well, D.C. has three branches of government. It has the executive, it has the legislative, and it has the judiciary. The judiciary is our courts. Okay. Right? Courts. The council is our legislative. Right. And the executive is the mayor and all the departments of D.C. Okay. And so he falls under that. Wow. So should the mayor care? that the chief of police is allowing this to happen, I would say yes. Of course she should. Right? Right? Because I mean, she's a black woman. She should be a black woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? But, but the mayor has taken no interest. And they, had, and, they, and they just recently and they just recently did a little thing with her for Black History Month that I saw. I was like, wow. That's crazy. I, I will say that if, if she has an interest in this, she has not publicly expressed one other than to say, oh, we're going to investigate this. We That's take it. Seriously. I have seen them take, you know, lottery tickets more seriously. Right. right? They take they take gambling more seriously. I They take everything more seriously. That, this is, the problem here is that, first of all, one of the things I want to make clear is that when I first 
spoke with the first two plaintiffs, Tabitha and Sinobia, there was only two of them, and it was kind of my idea for them to sue as a team because every other time black women have sued MPD, they get crushed in litigation because it's always a David and Goliath scenario where the taxpayer dollars are used to right. defend MPD, right. and these individuals have to try to fight City Hall with their little meager resources. So I realized that that's not a good strategy. And so I said, bring a team together so you can share the expenses, you can stay in this thing much longer, and you back each other up both both in terms of your narrative and also in terms of emotional support. But it took 10 black women coming together one time to get in the news at all, right? Yeah. 10 black women with outstanding records, and the city still doesn't care, right? The attorney general tells everybody, you know, oh, it's under litigation, therefore we can't say anything, we can't do anything. That's not true, right? Even if you don't... Oh, yeah, that's uh, Carl Racine's office, right? Yeah, his view is we can just litigate this into oblivion like we litigate everything into oblivion and not actually take any moral responsibility for changing this, right? Because we can just technicality it and statute of limitations and say it's old. I don't care if it's old. Has it been fixed yet? That's the question. Right. No. Right? But the, the thing is, the pain and suffering of black women is just not taken seriously. Yeah. I assure you, if it was 10 wealthy white men, they would have jumped to it. And, that, and that's the part that I hate. I hate that we have to use that in the scenario, but it, that's, the, that's the reality that we live in right now. I have 21 plaintiffs with claims. That's just me. One lawyer in the District of Columbia has 21 people with active cases against MPD, and they still haven't done a damn thing to change anything. Wow. If it was 10 white women, they would take it more seriously. Look what they do with the NFL thing. So it ain't just white men, it's white women as well. So, yes. It's, it's disheartening is what it is. I mean, to hear some of the things that's happened, you know, especially in an explicit nature, I mean, explicit nature, I mean, you would think that that's not the type of, you know, that's not the type of stuff that goes on at work. I mean, going to work, it means right. you're on your professional, you know, you're on a professional level, not on a, you know, you know, personal level when you do something like that. If you're, you know, at home or if you even know this person and they give you consent to do that, there's no consent here. To, to be treated that way at all. So I just feel like if it was a court of law and I went out here and I, you know, especially said something to a woman and touched her in a certain way, I'd already be in jail. Okay, yeah. right. exactly. And, and so I want to make clear for your listeners one last thing, though. It's not just what happens internally. Because if you allow abuse of power internally, if you allow disrespect, misogyny, and racism internally, trust and believe that is going to manifest itself out on the street, too. So one of my plaintiffs who's not here tonight, her name is Felicia Carson, is part of internal affairs. She was investigating a white officer for falsely arresting a young black man, grabbing him by his throat, accusing him falsely of uh, resisting arrest, right, which is an old school way of getting a black man into the system, right? Wow. The body-worn camera disproved everything this white officer said. And her internal affairs report found him culpable and recommended that he go to trial board. The head of internal affairs fired Felicia Carson, who had 19 years in internal affairs, right, fired her, and now this white officer is put back to work for violating somebody's civil rights and lying in a police report about what happened. 
Now, that's the kind of thing you should always be fired for. Always. Ten times out of ten, you should be fired. And so, that. and so, I guess my question turns to with that, like, so if you work, if you if you work in the IAD and you get fired, you have the information that you need to to file or do something against them. So why aren't people doing that? Well, Talisha Carson is suing. She's my client. <laughs> Right. No, I mean I understand her. I mean, but like, why aren't more people, you know, that that are seeing this type of stuff, you know, speaking out so it can be some because, type of change? Because there's, this there's, no, there's a, there's a culture of intimidation up, down, and sideways in MPD. Wow, yeah. it's a culture of intimidation. If you speak up, you're gonna you're gonna lose your job. You're not gonna get back up on the job. You'll be two, three years away from retirement. What are you going to do? Walk away from your 20-year pension? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Right. I mean, we are asking police officers to bear unbelievable consequences to call out misconduct of their fellow officers, which is why they don't do it. That is, in fact, what the blue code of silence really is. It is bullying and intimidation to hide misconduct of police officers, to hide and retaliate push and bully and retaliate against anybody who speaks up about a fellow officer. That is exactly how a George Floyd or, you know, any one of these other situations happen. That's how it happens. You're looking at a Laquan McDonald, right? All these officers standing around watching one guy unload his weapon into somebody. And then all of them turn around and start lying about what happened. All of them. The whole chain of command protects them. Yeah, I actually had my, my, my first hand um, experience um, in regards to a case where MPD shot a young man um, back in July of 2018. Um, and um, his name was Marquise Austin. Um, I, I knew his mother a little bit and it just brought up the uh, body worn camera situation where um, it took her a year. I think it took her a year and four months to just see the actual footage of what happened to her son after he was killed and just you know going to charles allen's um you know council meetings you know um just being with her interviewing her talking to her and just listening to some of the things that um black lives matter um people say and just in the community in general it just seems like um the police are literally um, the gang, like they're the gang that gets away with everything. And I don't think that that's fair. You know what I mean? Like, cause I mean, again, there's great police officers out there. I mean, we have them on the line tonight and, and we know other great police officers who do great work. Like I got another guy who wanted to come on tonight, but he had to work. But I mean, I've known this guy, you know, for over 20 years. And again, like I say, when I need advice or if I would, if I need to see it from the officer's perspective, he gives it to me from both. So there are good officers out there, but when you got officers that are good, that are out there and then th- some of these things happen to them and then they just want to tell somebody what happened it's crazy all of the stuff that comes back to them when they're just mm-hmm. trying to do what's right right so kevin if you think about it if you were to take all of the police misconduct all of the officer involved shooting all of the excessive use of force in the united states and you put it in a bucket what percentage of those incidents would be perpetrated by white male officers. Oh, wow. The um, thing is, people have this attitude that the best and strongest officers 
ancestors are the big men, the muscly men, the aggressive men, and especially the white men. But when in reality, it's people like Chanel and Regina and people like Karen who serve in police force for decades, never shoot anybody, rely on their training and their backup, stick to general orders, and put on the uniform to serve and protect everybody. Right. That's the problem. Right. And we need to change in their mindset about that. So with that being said, <clears throat> let's go into just from your perspective in regards to the lawsuit. What would you and these women like to see happen in regards to policy and procedure being changed in MPD? But Kevin, uh, um, Pam, can I just say one thing? This is yes. Uh, Kevin, you, you asked me why did I join the lawsuit, and I went down the rabbit hole. And I wanted to tell you, it's in line with what um, Chanel said. I joined because a change needs to come. Okay. I loved what the MPD, every aspect of my job, I loved protecting and serving the citizens. But we have to stop calling wrong right behind the bags, inside the doors, right. and out. Right. Because yeah. the, the old saying, right is right and wrong is wrong, period. Yeah. And, and, and I, am a, I am just a regular employment lawyer, right? I deal with employment law. I, you know, employers and employees all over the country. Let me tell you something. No employer in private America would get away with a workplace like this. Right. Period. Period. Right. right. Like nobody would put up with this kind of stuff. Not only do we ask our women warriors to go out on the street and police our community, but we ask them to have to go to war internally at work too. At the right. same time. Right. That's crazy. Right. So you ask what we're asking for, and we're really specific because I'm not trying to be vague here, right? I'm not saying, oh, we want justice. No, 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 no. I have very clear proposals that I put in writing to the city council that I think would make a big difference. Hey, 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 Pam, hey Pam, not to cut you off, but when I saw you on TV the first time, you know what my first thought was? She gonna kick their ass. <laughs> that was my first thought. I said, because you was coming. Somebody asked you a question. You was like, no, let me go back to his. I want to answer his question. I was like, oh, she is serious with it. Okay. I, I love it. I love it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
autonomous thing to never retaliate and they don't know who's being asked. Right. Because it's an autonomous. Right. And over time, you're going to get a sense of who has positive behavior and who has negative behavior. And the first time they get a negative story, they, they get training and counseling. The second time, they get a little bit more training and counseling. And by the third time, you realize you've got a problem child. Right. So that you can actually start to move out people who have a tendency to retaliate, to harm, to isolate, to bully, to, to disrespect. Right? right? And again, because it's random and it's all over the department, it's not clicks. Um, it's racially and genderly balanced, right? And that score over time will tell you who should be promoted and who not. And if there's a consistent low performer on citizenship, that person can't be a lieutenant. That person can't be a captain. Right. Right? Because what they're saying is that they don't treat the people around them well. Right. You do that, you will change behavior. I assure you. And when you change that behavior inside, I guarantee you're going to change the behavior outside too. I like it. I mean, because I've I've been a um, I've been a supervisor or somewhat of a manager um, for a long time, and I finally recognized in order to um, you know rectify a situation in regards to an employee that you know I, it, that continues to abuse the system. One of the best ways that I found to get them back in line was to suspend them without pay, because when they get home and they see their paycheck and it's you know, four or five hundred dollars less, that hurts them because that hurts whatever they need to do to take care of their family or whatever. In regards to this, you know, it sounds like it's the same thing. I mean, if you're able to take away their money, you know, their their their, their, their nest for the for the rest of their life, then they would straighten up. I mean, I would think because I want my money, you know. So I think that's I actually think that's a, a really good idea. I really do. And because it's a completely anonymous, Kevin, it's completely anonymous. It's done outside of the department. And it's done year-round. You have no idea who could mess up your score. You have no idea who it could be that gets the question about how you treated somebody. Right. So you better treat everybody right. Right. Yeah. if you don't, you get it that. can come back to fun. Yeah. And it should. As it should. Because I feel like, you, like the police officers, they should be the example. You know, they should be... The example of how we should, you know, treat each other to a certain degree. You know, I mean, I, I tell people all the time in regards to these situations on these stops and things of that nature. I'm like, respect goes both ways. I understand that the community feels a certain amount of way about certain police, you know, but in regards uh, of that, you know, they still have a certain authority. So they have to be respected, even not personally, but just their authority that they hold in general. So I tell people all the time that it goes both ways. Like if I get pulled over and the officer's like, hey, you know, I pulled you over for this. My name is such and such and such. And I reach out to one. I'm like, what the fuck you want? Then right there, I've broken that respect because now he's going to escalate and then it's going to turn into a whole situation. But if I keep it respectful, he keeps it respectful. We all go home and it's a, you know, it's a decent situation. So I, I, I do I do applaud all the women. Um, on the lawsuit, um, when I first saw it, I, I didn't know what to think. I mean, of course, when I when I seen Tamika again in the lawsuit, I was just like, "Wow, that's the homie." And I thought about, you know, the negative part of, you know, this happening, the negative part of stories that I've heard about officers going on officers if they do something outside of the the scope of, you know, the the blue code or whatever. And I mean, to me, I mean, excuse my French again. But I think it's all bullshit because I feel like at the end of the day, we all wake up, we all put our clothes on, we all brush our teeth, we all go to work. So how is it that one person has the right to treat us, treat treats another person a, a certain way just because they have a title or a rank? 
to me is crazy because everybody should be held accountable. And even in my Facebook group, you know, that we talk about a lot of different topics. But one of the things that always comes up is accountability. We talk about, you know, why can't you be held accountable for what you do? And I think in this case, this needs to happen. So I, I appreciate you women, you know, for doing what you what you did. Um, again, I, I, I really um, am, am, um, am pleased and happy that you guys stuck with me, even though we had some technical difficulties. Um, but again, I mean, I appreciate y'all, you know, doing this and taking some time. So I wanted to let everybody kind of have some final words. So Tamika, um, do you have any final words of, you know, just, you know, like advice, you know, for new officers coming in or just, you know, um, anything that you want to say to end it? Like, I don't know, like anything, um, you know, um, that would help somebody, you know, still want to be a police officer, even though this kind of stuff is happening. Yes. So I want to say thank you, Kevin, for having us. And I also want to echo what our attorney is doing. Pam is doing a masterful job on this case. And the specifics that she's asking for will end up being for those new people who want to come in and be police officers as well. So I feel like all of us together are paving the way just as the officers before us did. They just didn't get to the the lawsuit stage with... um, They didn't get to the the lawsuit stage with the class action. Okay. But... um, but I definitely think that it's going in the right direction. I feel that we have no choice but to win because this stuff is happening. This stuff is real. And facts are facts. That's I true. feel like the police department the police department has been wearing a veil for so long, probably before I was born. And now they are being unveiled, and it's time. I like that. Unveiled. I like it. I like it, Tamika. Unveiled. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. I like it. Regina, you have any last words? She's still on? Missionary, you have any last words? I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to say that um, this lawsuit is about those behind us. We as women and those that are coming in and those that are there who are suffering in silence, we need to recognize that our voices should be heard when our votes are not needed. Absolutely. Concerning election time. You don't see those, you know, the politicians, they don't come out unless they need our votes. Right. They need to reach out to their, you know, to their council members in their wards and, you know, alert them because this could be them or their children. Right. Okay. Um, these officers on the department, they're, they're crying out, and their truth need to be told. Right. I remain a ear to some of them. In spite of their silence, my only desire is that they not continue to suffer in silence. 1D, 2D, 3D, 4D, 5D, 6D, 7D. We need to reunite. These women need to take these muscles off there, take this fear off their heart, because it gets better when we stick together. Speak out. The only way we will be taken serious is to use our voices and our pen. I can't tell their stories. I can 
be their ear and to be to be a ear for them. Right. And I will continue to do that, but they need to come out of silence. I get calls daily. I know that these women that are on this lawsuit, we get calls from women that are suffering and afraid to use their voices. Wow. That's all I have to say. Thank you. I appreciate that. Chanel, you got any last words? Of course, of course I do. Um, just just hearing everything, um, it just reminds me of my time that I've been on the police department. And this is a noble profession, and I would encourage anyone to join it because we have to be the change mm -hmm. that we want to see, mm -hmm. and we have to use our voice mm -hmm. because injustice counts on silence. Right. It, it really does, because they expect us not to speak up about this. And one thing that I want to be clear, or a couple of things I want to be clear on is, I've heard, and I heard even the responses at the city council hearings for MPD's performance hearings, they talk about, like, a, a lot of our allegations are, are old. But that just shows the systemic issue culture that's at MPD. There are things that we have alleged in our lawsuit is happening at MPD today. And the reason why you know that it's happening at MPD today, because I asked them to create a platform where people could complain with zero percent chance of retaliation, and that has not been done. The reason why the leadership in the city and at the police department has not said anything about this is because that is a form of bullying. They want to intimidate the people who are still at the department to say they have stood up, we're doing nothing about it, and it has empowered the other people there who are doing it because they're just treating other people. I get so many calls, so many texts, so many emails with people saying, help me please. Pam's phone and email, <laughs> her phone can't stop ringing. Her email is probably about to shut down with the number of calls that people are saying help. Wow. You ask why people hadn't spoke up about this earlier. If, if Pam said it, she said that, first of all, it was hard to find an attorney that would step up and take on the city because they knew the tactics that they would use, but they didn't know that we would find Pam Keith, our, our woman warrior, right, hey. to, to fight this case. So right. what I would ask any listener to your podcast and start asking the tough questions of, of who's at the helm of the police department and the city leaders to say, like, what's your stance on this? Like, why haven't we heard you say anything? And one of the questions that, and, I, and I'll end with this, but one of the questions that um, was posed to um, the chief during the performance hearing, they said, well, you have some women who are still active on the police department what have you put in place to ensure that they're not retaliated against for filing a lawsuit? And his response, in part, I'm not quoting him, but in part, said, well, they don't believe um, that we can conduct a fair investigation so they can go to EEOC or Office of Human Rights. But that's the response that you get wow. when someone asks you, what have you put in place to prevent us from being retaliated there. And that's why on June 4th, it will be my last day at MPD without me getting my full pension because I believe that I would be much more powerful outside of the police department in this case than inside. Wow. That's that's tough. 
I appreciate that. That was tough. I mean, to not get your full pension. That's wow. Wow. Miss Lisa, do you have any final words? Um, I'm sorry, can you hear me? Because I'm still driving. Yes, we can hear you. Yes. Okay, I just want to, you know, piggyback in on, you know, what Chanel and what everyone is saying. It's all about, you know, your walk, not your talk. And I just want to say, like, what she said, people have to start speaking up and saying things. Like, the chief says, well, his, his tagline is, excellence is transferable. So what's so excellent about this? How are you leading the community when you can't even lead your own house? And people need to start calling him out on the hypocrisy of that. I mean, you cannot build trust and bridges and make things better. We have people that, you know, you know have done wrong and you're looking the other way. For what? So, I mean, that would be my that my thing. They so, call out on the fact that you're, you're talking out the side of your neck, as we used to say back in the day. So, I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Chief Newsham was the chief when all of this was going on. But now Conti is the chief, correct? Okay. Okay. No, I was just I was just curious because it, I was just curious because I was like I knew when I started hearing this he was the the chief, but then when he anonymously went to Loudoun County and didn't tell you all, and we found out before y'all did, I thought that was hilarious. But I just was wondering the difference because I I had spoken to somebody one day when I saw him on the news, and I was like, who was that? They was like, oh, that's the new chief of police. And I was like, oh, they was like, oh, yeah, he from Ward A. He, he a good dude. He this, this, and this, and this. And then within two weeks, I'm hearing that he's not a good dude. He don't do this. He don't. I'm like, wait, so what's going on? So so do they just put people in place? Oh, okay. So so do they just put people in, do they just put people in place that just, you know, keep the wheels turning? Uh, or do they yeah. decide to put somebody in place that's going to put their foot down? Well, see, the thing is, you don't get up into certain levels of leadership if you cause too much trouble, oh. right? It's, that's the paradox. The paradox is Ooh. to get into leadership, you have to be able to work the system. And yet, someone like Chanel, who did get up there, when she tried to use her power and her authority when she was there, she was shut down and that authority was taken but, you know, she was undermined and that authority was taken from her. But what I will tell you is that all of this stuff happened under Kathy Lanier, under Chief Newsham, under Chief Conti, because it's a culture. It is a culture. And she and left too. Mm -mm -mm. That's what, so, so, so Chief Conti is now stuck trying to figure out how he is going to work with the Paternal Order Police. I cannot tell you how gobsmacked, how shocked I was when the head of the Fraternal Order of Police had the nerve to talk to the city council about white officers who don't want to be vaccinated but had nothing to say about all of these black women whose lives were made of living hell? Are you kidding me? Wow. They're all dudes called members of his union. Wow. I cannot get my head around that. So I think... Conti is constrained because he's dealing with senior people and union people who are forcing him or perhaps encouraging him to keep the status quo. And that is what he's doing. He's serving the status quo. Wow. Karen, any last words, Karen? Um, yes. 
would like to say that this this whole experience has been taxing on me, not just mentally, but physically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had to go see a therapist because I, I had to question myself because they beat it in my head that, that I was problematic. Right. There was something wrong with me. Right. I was angry. Right. Um, I'm not a good officer. Right. And so I'm sitting here questioning my almost 25 years of service to include my seven years of uh, service in the military. I've never had an issue. Wow. I've never questioned, you know, my integrity. I've never second-guessed myself. But now I have these men, specifically these white men, that are disrespecting me. They're, um, they're, uh, you know, discriminating against me. It's, it's harassment. It's retaliation. It's discipline. You know, I was, I was suspended. I was suspended because I spoke up. I was suspended because I tried to record misconduct. And when I reported that misconduct to the former commander of the Special Operations Division, I ended up at IED. So I'm, I'm talking to Internal Affairs, and I'm telling them I'm being discriminated against because I'm black and because I'm a woman. I'm being sexually harassed because I'm black and I'm a woman. And I'm giving them the information. And instead of them helping me and seeing me as a victim, they saw me as a problem. They were irritated by my presence. I was a nuisance to them. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I can say, uh, I went to active bystandership training. I'm actually an instructor for active bystandership and law enforcement. And that came about because of the George Floyd case. So what I can say now is we have a platform to speak up. Because if you don't speak up when you see officer misconduct, you're going to lose your job. And you may even lose your freedom. Mm. So that's the one thing I can say that when the black officers or brown officers see <coughs> these, you know, some, I'm not saying all the white officers are racist, but I'm saying when they're, when they're seeing things that just don't sit right, it is your obligation, it is your duty to report that. You have to be an active bystander. You can't sit there and become a passive bystander. So that's just one little thing that I can say for now. It's like a trick bag. When you see people doing things they're not supposed to do and you don't speak up, whatever discipline is issued to them, you will receive the same discipline in turn. So what that means is when white officers or these white officials are discriminating against black and brown people, you have an obligation to speak up. It is your duty to speak up. And it's not called snitching anymore. It's called active bystandership. And I'm just praying that because of this new rule, this new standard, that more people come forward and speak up against the racism and the, you know, the discrimination and the harassment, the retaliation, the discipline, the blue, you know, the blue wall of silence, um, the bullying. Um, you know, I, I'm just hopeful that, you know, that something like that can be a bigger picture and get more attention to what's been going on within, you know, our police department because I'm protecting and serving the citizens of the District of Columbia, but I have no one to protect me. Right. I that's, no that's the sad part. That's the part that's throwing me off. Wow. That's the part that's well, throwing me off. Well, I... Karen. But that... I am trying. Yeah. And, well, I, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thankful that you even mentioned the therapist part. I mean, because I was going to mention, again, the mental fortitude of having to go through this. I mean, I thought about, you know, all of you, all of you all's mental fortitude. Like, what... Like, even... You know, just just reliving it again, like Regina was like Regina was saying, like just reliving it, talking about it, 
thinking about situations, just reliving it. It's, it's, I know it has, to, it has to be hard. So I thought about the middle, the mental aspect of it, of just, you know, what do I do to even just deal with it day to day? Especially the ones that are still active. Like, you still got to go to work. You still got to actively, you know, do your job, even though you got all this going on. So I know that can that can take a, um, a big toll. And just um, a little bit about um, the word when you use snitching, I, was, I tell the younger guys now, even when I talk to them, because I'm actually a co-founder and president of a nonprofit in Prince George's County called Type Inc., teaching youth prosperity and excellence. And when we talk to the kids, they use that term snitching. And I say, it's a difference in, in, in the term snitching versus reporting. Snitching is if me and you doing something together and the police grab you and you tell them I did it. That's snitching. I said, if somebody comes in your community and they, and they you know, uh, steal your grandmother's car and do something to your grandmother, that's reporting. It's a difference. So there's a bigger difference in snitching and reporting. And it's sad to hear that if you guys, you know, do your due diligence and, and something happens to you on the job and you go about it the right way, that that's considered snitching. That's crazy to me. So, again, I want to thank everybody. I mean, Pam, I'm going to let you, you know, um, end it with some closing thoughts. Um, so I just wanted to thank everybody for, again, for just coming out and doing this. I really, really 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 appreciate it when when i had the technical difficulties i was like oh my god this is not gonna happen but god allowed it to happen so pam can you give us some closing um remarks on on mpd and your um lawsuit with these with these wonderful black women sure you know everything about our city everything about how our government runs it's really up to us and the way we express what we want is through the vote right we have an election coming up. And a whole lot of people listening to this podcast are going to be shaking their heads but not going to the polls. And that's everything that's wrong. Because the people who do go to the polls are the people who do get what they want. Right. So we're going to do everything we can to use the court system to vindicate us. But the way that you can help is twofold. First, tell your elected officials that this issue matters to you. Wherever you go, wherever you them, when they ask for your support, tell them, what are you doing to fix MPD? What are you doing to stand with these black women? Right. And then when it comes time to election time, don't stay home. Vote. Make sure you're ready to vote. Make sure you're registered to vote. And vote. And become educated on the candidates. Because it's the passivity of folks like us that allow the other kind of people to decide. Right. Right. Absolutely. So let's show up and show out at the polls because that's how you can actually get change of policing and everything else. I have a friend of mine and um, some of our discussions close with him saying vote locally. Vote locally. Mm -hmm. People do not vote locally. They don't vote their local sheriff. They don't vote their local um uh, county clerk they don't you know what i'm saying like they just don't vote on a lower level and that's kind of where it starts if we want to you know um strengthen our community so it's it's i think it's very imperative and, and very important that you mention that so again um i'm very humble um thank you tamika for getting everybody involved um and getting them on um like i say um i i've, I've been actively looking at all of the information that Tamika sent me, and it was like mind boggling. Um, it was a couple situations with um, Tierra Brown 
that we didn't get to talk about um couple situations with um Kia Mitchell that we didn't get to talk about um and when I when I saw um Kia Mitchell's situation with the with the with the van and the officer doing what he did I was just like that's that doesn't even like who does that like like who like who does that like if you need to use the bathroom go use the bathroom like your mother and father taught you how to use the bathroom like that that's just flat out disrespectful to me you know what i mean and again i'm just one man speaking for you know a ton of men but i mean i i i was raised by two women so i know better than to do certain things you know that because my i mean god rest my grandmother's soul my grandmother saw me doing some of the stuff that was mentioned in here i would have a problem <laughs> i would have a a serious problem so again ladies i i i i appreciate you coming through um, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this. Um, I actually am rooting for you all to get everything um, that you want. And um, Pam, I'm definitely writing down this uh, modification of behavior because I think that will work. I think that if the if the pension and the salary um, gets touched, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, I think things can really change. It could be a significant game breaker with that um, with that suggestion. But with that being said. I want to thank you all again for coming through, being with me. Um, you know, if it's anything that I can do or if anything I can help out with um, in regards to whatever you guys are going through, please let me know. Feel free, you know, to hit me up. Um, Tamika has my information. You all can hit me up and, you know, ask me anything or do anything or whatever I can do to help. I'm, I'm here to help. I'm a, Like I said, I'm a longtime Washingtonian who just recently moved to South Florida um, last May. But nevertheless, my, my heart is still with the city because I grew up there. Um, I got a lot of life experiences there and my family is still there. So that's still my, 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 um, my town, my city. And I love it to death. And I want to see it thrive like uh, other cities that are thriving in the United States of America versus it being caved in with gentrification and all of this other stuff. So, again, I thank you ladies for coming out. I appreciate you. Um, enjoy the rest of your night. God bless. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Be better than yesterday. I gotta be better than yesterday. Stay ready.